0: All right. So you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5. We're going to be sitting in Matthew 5 today. Let me get rid of some of my uh, different translations here. can't find my Bible. I haven't been able to find it for two weeks. Doesn't mean I'm not reading my Bible, but I'm like, where did my, where did my, uh, yeah, whatever one of you stole it. <laughs> Repentance is good and forgiveness is is good too. So Just saying. Stealing Bibles at church. People are horrible. I don't know which one it is, but... (laughs) Anyway, all right. So, this is the Sermon on the Mount. You guys have heard this before. Uh, We're going to start in verse 1. It says, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Okay, so you have to understand... um, Mountains in Israel are not the same as, like, mountains in, um, like, say, Colorado or Wyoming, where, you know, you're, you know, 13,000 feet, 9,000 feet off, off the ground. No, we're talking a large hill. So Jesus is on a large hill. <laughs> and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I say blessed because I grew up reading King James Version. It's actually blessed. So I'm just going to try to get myself into into that mindset. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That just sounds really cheerful, those last couple of verses, like, you know. We're really gonna dive into that. I really want to just get persecuted today. So, just kidding. Just all right, so I really want to go through that, that that first part of the Sermon on the Mount, and so we all know Romans ten seventeen: Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's a very common scripture. If you're any kind of word of faith movement, charismatic movement, that is like you know that scripture, man. That's just that's a, that's our jam scripture, scripture, as Jordan would say. <laughs> so, think about this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So to break it down, basically, when you hear the Word of God, faith starts to build in you, starts to rise up in you, starts to, to put a firm foundation in you. And so the Holman Christian Bible says this, and I, I really like this translation. It says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message of Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus Christ, it's the message of Jesus Christ and don't don't take that as heresy i want i want to do that again so faith co- doesn't come from jesus christ faith comes from hearing about jesus christ and what his mission was when we have faith about him then we can have faith in him is it hard it's hard to have faith in something that you don't know you know like hey i'm just going to like you change jobs, you're like, I don't know. They're all like, Yeah, it's a great place to work. And you get there, and you're like, Oh, what did I just get into? You know what I mean? There, you guys have been there, right? You know, you uh, you do the job interview, and they're like, Yeah, that. They, they act like they're, you know, they're Google, and they're going to give you, you know, places to lounge around, and you get in there, and it's like cracking the whip, and you're like, Wait a minute, this is what I signed up for. So there's sometimes it's hard to have faith in something you cannot see. But what Jesus is saying or what Paul is saying about Jesus is faith comes from hearing about what he is, who he is and what he's doing. So when we, have, when we hear about that, it, it increases us and says, oh, I can believe in that. I can, I can trust in that. I can have faith in who he is because of what he has done. You can't, if you meet a uh, complete stranger and they say, hey, if you give me $150, I'll go take care of this for you and I'll be back. You're like, yeah, right. You don't. You're not just going to give a complete stranger and walk up to a complete stranger. Hey, if I give you $150, would you go take care of this for me real quick? Oh, absolutely. Here, let me, is it check or cash? Cash. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely take care of it for you. No, it doesn't work that way. You don't just give complete strangers it, uh, your faith and trust in them that they're going to take care of something for you. What you do is you trust someone you know to take care of it for you. Like I don't like leave my doors unlocked and like be like. Walk down to some random house and be like, hey, my doors are all unlocked. Um, my dogs really are caged in one side and all the good stuff's on the other side. So would you watch my house for me? No, we don't do that. I say, John, watch my house for me. John knows how to get in. But I trust that he's going to take care of my house, my possessions. He's going to look after it the same way I would look after his. You know, the car pulls into his driveway, I'm like... Who is that? I'm, phones, I'm like, I've got 9-1, and I'm waiting for that extra one. To, uh, nope, okay, good, they're pulling out. You know? <laughs> Even the FedEx guy pulls in, and we're like, okay. Because we have to trust someone to take care of us. I don't trust anybody to come into my house and, and take care of my house. So when we hear about Jesus, when we hear about his good works, we hear about his mission, we hear about what he's done, Something arises in us that makes us start to trust him, right? Makes us start to say, well, everything about him is kind. Everything about him is good, so I need to trust him. And then when you do trust him, then when you you, uh, give your life to him and put your trust in him, he changes everything. And it doesn't mean instantaneous change. It means that he changes us internally. He changes our hearts. He changes our spirit and we, we have to work, get that flesh under control to get to that point of it obeying the, in getting the external to obey the internal. But when we hear about Jesus, something changes in us. So I'm, I'm reading these. And it really sticks out, excuse me. It really sticks out. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so... Many people take this scripture and go, okay, you just have to be the most down and out person in order to see the kingdom of heaven. No, that's not true. So if we read different translations, when we look at the different scripture about it, it actually doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you're just this down and out person. It actually means that you realize that what you have is nothing Without God. You. That you're. Why, thank you. All right. The amplified verse 3 says Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit. Those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and forever. I was going to throw it to you, but I decided. So you're blessed when you realize that you have to be totally dependent upon God. This world teaches us that you have to empower yourself. You have to get what you get, and you have to make your own way. We've been talking about this for the last four or five weeks. When we make our own way, what happens? It doesn't work very well when we have to make our own way, because then God is not involved in it. When you tell your plans to God, he laughs a little and says, hey, let's just work out these, and then I'll make your way. God doesn't really laugh. He just giggles. He doesn't, uh, he he just giggles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like when your kids tell you something and you just have to, you, you, you don't want to laugh out loud because it's just so absolutely insane that they think they're going to do something, but you just kind of, you just kind of snicker under, under your breath just a little bit because they know, you know that they're, what they're telling you is absolutely insanely crazy, and you're like, you, there's no way you can accomplish that. Like, you know, they're pulling a straight D in math, and they're like, I'm going to be a mathematician when I grow up. You're like, eh, I don't know about that, you know. But you're blessed when you realize that you have to be totally dependent on God to make your way, to make your path straight, to understand that he's going to lead you instead of making your own way. In our culture, it tells us, okay, you you have to do this. You have to go this place, do this, get this degree, get this kind of thing. And then you're going to be on a road to success of being a successful adult. I remember when I was a kid, it was like every college in the world was like, hey, you need to come to our college because we're the best college. I'm like, oh, okay, that's good to know. Um, and every college, you know, the teacher's like, you have to go to college. If you don't go to college, you're never going to accomplish anything in your life. And then about 10 years ago, they're like, you need to go to trade school because college isn't good. Trade school, just do. you can get it. I'm like, okay, what is it? We, we made up our minds. So the world will tell you for a certain amount of time that you have to do this to be successful. The world will tell you this, you have to do this path in order to be successful. And God says, if you follow my path, you'll be successful. When you're dependent upon me, when I'm dependent upon myself, it doesn't work out too well. I have a very limited reach on what I can do and a very limited influence on what I can influence. God doesn't. His reach is un... I don't even know how to pronounce that. His reach is ever-reaching. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, yeah, it's infinite. There we go. That's a good word. And his influence is everywhere because he is everywhere. So being dependent upon self, Jesus says when you're, you're blessed, when you realize that you don't do it all for yourself, when you don't have it all figured out, when you are trusting God for the plans and then he goes on to verse 4. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So that's an odd verse. So the Hebrew for mourn is almost identical for the Hebrew for wait. So waiting and mourning are completely different things. We talked about we've been talking about waiting on God for the last couple of weeks, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Those who mourn will be comforted and blessed are those who mourn. Okay, so yes, we understand people are going to mourn. They're going to go through times, but think about it this way. If I said blessed are those who wait. Blessed are those who wait, for they shall be comforted. Either way, the scripture doesn't, it, it's a little odd to understand sometimes. And if you look at the scripture, Isaiah sixty-one three, it says, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, planting of the Lord, and they may be glorified. So, if you look at that, when it says, blessed are those who mourn, it's it's not so much about, okay, there's been a death. It's, it, it's, it's more like, you're going through something, you're losing something, and God is working in it, working in the situation in your life. You can mourn and not have lost someone, right? That makes sense? You can mourn something, uh, you can mourn a chapter in your life that is closing. You can mourn the loss of, um, of a job. You can mourn the loss of going through something even though it might not be a bad situation. Mourning is not, oh my gosh, everything's bad. It, it, there's, there's, a, there's a process to mourning, and it, it can encompass a lot of different things. But there's seasons in our life, and it's like, this was a good season. And when that season is over, you're like, I really want to go back into that season. That's mourning. That's, 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 it's not uh, just about loss. It's about closure. And I think sometimes we go through seasons that it is... Closing, and we're like, I don't want to go out of that season. I want to stay in this season because it was good, it was easy, and everything I wanted was in that season. And God's like, Well, seasons end. Seasons come and go, and we have to be able to be prepared for that. So Jesus is saying, When you are mourning, you're going to be blessed through that. You're going to be comforted through that. God's going to comfort you and transition you through that season that time that 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 moment of history that is hard right now but you're going to look back and go man that was a hard, tough season but god was there working working me through it and walking me through it does that make sense number 5 blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth i love this scripture So, you ever met someone and they're like, "Oh, that person's just so meek." That's not a very common thing that they they say anymore, unless you're in church. But meek, everybody thinks meek means someone who is um, very unempowered. And what happens is, is this is meek is used as a term for somebody who is a doormat. Oh, they're just so meek as they wipe their feet on that person. They're just so quiet and meek and, and they just wipe their feet and they walk all over them. It's a term used in the dictionary for someone who has no power and has walked all over. So do you think that Jesus would have said, Blessed are the meek, the doormats, the welcome mats, and the fuzzy mats you get the mud off of your feet. No, he didn't. Jesus is talking about someone or something that is, is not about being unempowered. It's, it's about being gentle. You can be gentle and still be fully in charge and fully empowered in your own life. Meekness doesn't come from you know, somebody who just you know, lets people abuse them, take advantage of them. Meekness, if you read uh, Matthew 11... Verse 29, this is the Passion Translation. It says, simply enjoy your life with mine. Learn my ways and you'll discover that I am gentle, humble, easy to please. You'll find refreshment and rest in me. Jesus is saying that my yoke is easy. There's no burden in it. Just because someone is meek, some, because someone is gentle, doesn't mean that they don't have power. God wouldn't be like, oh, they're just going to be a doormat their entire life and they're going to be blessed for it. No. You can be meek, you can be gentle and kind without being taken advantage of or abused. So Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you are kind and gentle to other people. One of the footnotes of this scripture of Matthew 11:29 says, um, The metaphor of the yoke says, I will not bend your neck. Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. Because what he's saying is, I'm not going to break your back. I'm not going to bend your neck for you to be part of my kingdom, to be tied to me. An Aramaic word for meek means tranquil. tranquil. There we go. Got that one out. And peaceful. So if you translate that scripture, it says, come to me and I will cheer you up, refresh you. I am a cheerful and hu- with a hu- cheerful and humble heart and you will find cheer and refreshing in your soul. So Jesus is saying, My so being meek, Jesus is not saying, hey, you're going to be walked all over, but he's saying that you're going to learn how to walk with me. Jesus was meek. He didn't, think about this. They come to take him away. What does he do? He doesn't do anything. His, you know, one wise disciple decides to take up a sword and cut a guy's ear off, but Jesus doesn't fight back. Jesus was being meek because of what, the situation he was in. Sometimes being meek doesn't means you don't respond to what it is. Let's just change this word. Being gentle means you don't respond to what is being said about you or being said to you. What's it say? A gentle word turns away wrath. Sometimes not responding to what is being said makes the better situation. You ever been in that situation? Somebody's saying something to you and you're just like, I just want to suck it to them right now. I just want to say something to them. But being gentle in spirit means that you say, you know what? No. I'm not going to. I'm going to listen. You know, those moments you want, like, Jesus, stand back. I'm going to take this. You know, you're like, I can handle this, Jesus. You just, I'll deal with you later. I'll ask for forgiveness later. And we're gonna, I'm going to handle this situation on my own. And you're like, I'm going to come out swinging with your words. Because how many of you guys know your words, a physical action can hurt them momentarily, but your words can live for a lifetime in someone. The way that you speak to someone can cut them for their entire life. You know, we've all had people in our life that you can remember back to when you were a kid and you can remember what, they was, what was said to you or about you that you still can remember. Am I right? Mm-hmm. There's things about that. Yeah. But when Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you're gentle. Because you know what? They can say whatever they want. He says, blessed are those who are gentle and meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So when someone's saying something to you, just be like, don't respond to them. Just say, you know what? I'm going to inherit the earth and walk away. And they'll be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great way to diffuse a situation. They're just like, oh, they're crazy, and they just walk away. <laughs> All right, verse 6. Jesus says, Blessed. I'm sorry, blessed. There we go. Got to get that King James version out of me there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I like what the Passion Translation says. It says, How enriched are you when you crave righteousness, for you will be satisfied. when we crave after what god is and who he is and what his kingdom is satisfaction comes from that you know we we've talked about this before when you chase after what the world system has to offer of all the money you can think of, all this, all the greatest of these, you know, you can go, you go through any kind of social media and you see all these people standing in front of $250,000, $500,000, dollars cars. And they're like, this is the lifestyle that that lifestyle is pushed on us. You watch TV. What What is the most common shows from five o'clock till seven o'clock? It's celebrity news because everybody's so interested in whatever that celebrity's doing and who they're cheating with this week and, and what kind of movie they're going to be in. And it's like, That is the standard of what is set for our our eyes today. This is what we need to be. I need to have this. I need to to live in this. Like, oh, this celebrity just bought a $40 million mansion. It's only their fifth. It's like, oh, I need to get that. That's the mindset that has been given to us. Because when you thirst after those things, it leaves you Empty. It leaves you dry. It leaves you vacant. It leaves you void. But when you thirst after righteousness, when you, you crave righteousness, when you crave after what God is doing, it leaves us fulfilled. You can have five cars, have every kind of. You know, I've, I used to work with this guy, and he had snowmobiles, boat, jet skis, quads, dirt bikes, motorcycles, off-road truck. Had everything. And he was still miserable. He had literally Yeah, he ever he had literally everything he could want. But what was he? He was literally empty inside because where was his trust. Where was his money going and where was his hope? He was hoping that he'd have enough money to put fuel in, in it so he could go with some, go somewhere into one of those vehicles and be able to use those vehicles. But because he was so interested in, in having what the Joneses had or what he saw on TV or what he saw somebody who he doesn't know that their life is completely empty but they have all this stuff sitting in their garage or sitting in a trailer or whatever he he decided to go after that you know what's really great about seeking after righteousness it's free there's really no cost except for giving up yourself to Jesus there's no cost in giving yourself up to him it doesn't cost you financially to give your life to him. You're like, I'm going to give my life to you. He's like, okay, I'll take it. But when we give ourselves to what the world wants, when we give ourselves to what is going on in the world, it'll always cost. It'll cost your job, your finances, your children, your marriage. It'll cost you something that is not worth giving up. But Jesus says when you crave after righteousness, when you thirst for righteousness, for his kingdom, you'll be satisfied. You will be fulfilled when you start to seek after his kingdom. So, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall have mercy and receive mercy. So this scripture, I'm going to read you something real quick here. You guys ever remember the the parable of the unmerciful servant? The guy that owns, um, owes the equivalent of, I think it was 2.5, days equivalent of $2.5 billion to his master. can't pay $2.5 billion, which is, you know, I don't think anybody can really afford to pay that, but he was that much in debt from his master. And his master says, you know what? I will forgive that debt. I will erase that debt. And he's like, yes, thank you. Thank you for showing me mercy. Thank you for having um, patience with me. Thank you for uh, allowing my family not to be in slavery. Because basically what was going to happen is is this, is he was going to lose his family. His family probably would have been sold into slavery. And he's like, thank you. Thank you. And as he's walking out the door, he's like, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I have the best boss ever. He sees some dude walking down the the other side of the street. And he's like, that guy owes me a hundred bucks. Because he borrowed a hundred bucks when he was short one time. So what does he do? He goes over to the guy and he grabs him by the shirt and he says, pay me the money you owe me now. And the guy's like, I don't have the money. He says, well, you know what? Then you're going to go to debtor's prison. And your family's going to go to debtor's prison. And they're going to starve probably because we, you have no income now. You can't go to your job because you're in prison. So he's shaking the guy. And the guy's begging him, I'll pay it back. I'll take care of the bill. I'll take care of it. He's like, no, not. I want it now. So the guy carries on with his life and then his boss calls him back in. He says, oh, hey, um, by the way, I, I heard that you met so-and-so on the street yesterday and you wanted your money back now. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was just $100. And then he says this to the servant. Then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant. I canceled all of your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. That sucks. Until he could pay it all back. Think about this. The man who owed 2.5 billion dollars his debt was canceled. But the guy who owed him 100 bucks he couldn't show enough mercy. The mercy he had received, he couldn't reciprocate to that man that owed him a hundred bucks. He's like, I want my money now. Think about that. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What's great about this is he's teaching us about mercy In Matthew five, but then in Matthew eighteen he's teaching us about it again. He goes from, hey, this just a quick note on mercy. Apparently they didn't get it, so he had to teach on it again. But the whole idea of mercy is mercy is received when it is given. Mercy is received when it is given. It is a reciprocal thing that when this man who owed him $100 couldn't pay, the guy who owed two point five that was now canceled, he went to one of those awesome debt cancellation companies and got it canceled. And it was probably his student loans. Um, um, and then he saw the guy who borrowed 100 bucks at the party from him a couple months ago and couldn't afford to pay it back. The mercy that was given to him, he could not give. He didn't realize the amount of debt and the, the, the um, cards that were stacked against him that was now taken away from him. He couldn't give just an ounce of that to the man that owed him the hundred bucks. But Jesus says, when you give it, you shall receive it. Think about this. The guy that received the mercy... Couldn't, couldn't get, give this guy just a little bit, and what happened? All of the mercy that was given to him was now pulled back. Verse 18, or excuse me, Matthew 18, verses 35 says, This is how the Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. That's tough. Because mercy, we want, we want to extend mercy to the people we want to extend mercy to, and the people we don't like, nope, ain't getting none of that from me. I'm going to keep it all for the people I really like. It's not how it works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. It's not how salvation works. Jesus didn't say, well, my theology is going to be you're chosen, you're chosen, you're chosen from the origins of time, and you don't go, you don't go, you don't go. It didn't work that way. That's not how it worked. Jesus said, I came to die for all. You choose to accept me. You choose to live in the mercy that God has given, or you choose not to live in the mercy that God has given. But I think our job is to extend mercy. There's people who do stupid things to us, and our job is to extend them grace and mercy, even though they don't deserve it. Sound familiar? Sounds like Jesus. Verse 8. I love this one. So, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, it it makes you think, okay, are the pure in heart, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. He says, have faith like a child. Because he knew there was something pure about these kids, that they weren't jaded, they weren't messed up from the world. They didn't have all the the baggage that us adults do and received as we were growing up. Jesus is like, these little kids have a pure spirit, they have a pure heart, and they come to me because I want them to. Pure in heart is... A pure heart keeps us from the issues of life. When we start to, to get rid of what we have in our hearts. When we start to ask Jesus, ask God to take out what is impure in our life, everybody does it. It's called sin. If you don't have sin, you're not alive. If you're not alive, that means you're dead and you had sin at one point. So everybody had sin. Um, But the purity, pure of heart keeps us from the issues of the heart. It directs us to God. It's, it's asking him to start to remove the impurities. Um, I, made, I was making tea last night, and it really made a lot more sense when I was, was doing that last night. I, I boiled the water, and I put the tea, I put the bags in the, in the water, and then what I did is this. is Instead of, like, I have this, in this little teapot my wife bought me, there's this little strainer and I put the tea bags in and I do it that way. Well, what I did is I put the tea bags in the teapot and then I strained it. And what happened was, is this, is because stuff starts to come out of the tea bags when they sit in there, it starts to, it starts to, um, break down. The tea bag sometimes will, um, cause it's larger chunks of like fruit and tea and stuff like that. It started to come out and there was like this, this stuff in it floating. It wasn't like bad, but it was like, okay, I don't really want to drink that, um, you know, chew on it a little bit. And so what I did is I took that filter and I put it above the glass and I poured it. And as I was pouring it, the tea was coming in. And out of the bottom, the tea was coming out. But in the filter, in that little mesh screen, was the little pieces of tea that had gotten out, a little bit of the, the residue of it. And what happens is, is this, it's just like life. When we allow God to purify us, he pours us into him and out of us, and out of that filter of God comes what, who we are and who He has created us to be. He filters our hearts and gets rid of the, the impurities, gets rid of the. Because you guys, have, I don't know, not a lot of you are tea drinkers. I'm guessing so. Um, but in the bottom of a, a teapot, a glass teapot, you can see there's like this just residue sitting in the bottom. It's just it's stuff, and that gunk doesn't taste good. Thank you. Yeah. Coffee doesn't taste good. So, yeah, but it, what it is is this, the pure of heart means this, is allowing Jesus to filter us, allowing God to filter our hearts to take every thought captive. You know, that thought that comes in, it says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So when he's saying, okay, what that thought comes in, oh no, I need to purify my heart. I need to allow God to, I know Noah's just so offended right now. He's like, he doesn't like coffee? Like What? Noah in his heart is like oh my gosh he doesn't like coffee Noah is is like um, let me explain Noah Noah loves coffee (laughs) (laughs) Noah has two loves mercy and coffee (laughs) after God God. but he loves him some coffee and and mercy talks about him loving some coffee so but yeah (laughs) it's okay yeah so anyway, so that filter is this, is God is, is purifying us. He's taking out the stuff that causes bitterness, that causes anger, that causes resentment, that causes um, offense to whatever is going on in our life. Th- to have a pure heart, we have to allow God to transform us, to filter what is coming in. Those thoughts that come in, do they come into the obedience of Christ? Are they run through the filter of Jesus Christ? The blood of Jesus, they go through the blood of Jesus so we can say, you know what, I'm angry at this person, but I'm, this is the reason I'm angry. You know, I, I, we taught our kids to, to be angry, but to understand why they're angry instead of just being angry. Why are you angry? Well, I'm just angry. No, there's a reason you're angry. Why are you doing this? It's teaching them to filter their emotions and their thoughts to understand why they're angry or why they're upset or why they're um, sad. Instead of saying, well, they're just sad. No, there's more to it than just being sad. There's more to it than just being angry. There's more to it than just being upset and hurt by somebody. The situations in our life, here's the thing is, we come in to the kingdom unpure and he purifies us. But what happens is we still carry a lot of that baggage. And as kids and as adults, we've had, we've picked up baggage along the way. And God's like, well, you know, I'm going to purify that. Quit looking at the situation. Quit looking at what's going on and say, this is the situation I'm angry at, but why are you angry at that? What hurt did you have before that? Jesus is, God is going to teach you to filter your thoughts. Because when he teaches you to filter your thoughts, you understand why you're hurt. Instead of just lashing out, you understand why you're hurt and say, I'm hurt because this happened to me a while ago, and this is why I'm angry now. Instead of, I'm angry and just lashing out. So when we have a pure heart, we allow God to filter us. We allow God to filter our thoughts, our actions, our words. Everything about us has to be purified. Now this one, this is where people get offended at. It's okay. Noah's already offended because I don't like coffee. And... Um, Yes, it's okay. Got a really good coffee filter on that one. Um, (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You ever had someone in your house or someone you knew just like, I just want peace. I just want peace. Okay, so let's, so the UN has something they call peacekeepers. Peacekeepers. Jordan, we'll talk later. <laughs> so anyway, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. So there's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Peacekeeper says, oh, stop fighting. It's okay. Everything's good. We just, we just, we just want to keep the peace. You ever had somebody in your life like that? They just, they just don't want, I just don't want to deal with it. Let's just, let's just everybody's, we're just going to cover it with roses and, and, and everything's going to be nice and everything's going to be perfect. We're just going to ignore the situation because I don't want to deal with it. Peacekeepers are people who want to cover everything and never deal with it. That rug is about this tall because they keep doing this. We just gotta sweep it under. We just sweep it under. It's okay. I can't see it. We don't have to deal with it. It's peaceful. <laughs> Peacemakers say, how do we figure this out? What do we need to do? Let's make a treaty. Let's make a pact that we're gonna do this. They they figure out a way to make it peaceful, not just like Well, it's okay. We're just going to do this and sweep it under the rug. And every time I I don't like something and every time they say something to me, I'm not going to filter it, but I'm going to shove it under the rug. And it's just going to be peaceful. And then when everybody gets together for the holidays, it's like, oh, this is awkward. (laughs) Y'all know that, right? Everybody, you, there's that one family member that, that you know that they hate you. They got crap going on in their life and they're like, it's all good. I just love you. And you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Because you don't like us. And every, as soon as we step out of the house on the way home, you talking about us because everybody else tells us that you're talking about us. But like, I just want peace. Don't want to deal with it. Peacekeepers confront and they say, why are you doing this? What is going on? How do we fix the situation? Sometimes we don't want to do that. We're just like, I just want to brush it off. I don't want to deal with it. When we don't deal with it, we start to let God unfilter us. We're like, I'm not going to deal with it. God's like, no, you need to deal with it. Start dealing with why you're so afraid to deal with it. Jesus was not a peace maker. excuse me, peacekeeper, sorry. Looking at two different things here. Jesus was not a peacekeeper. He never feared telling hypocritical Pharisees what they were doing wrong. He wasn't like, oh, you guys are all good. You, you, it's just between you and God. No, Jesus is like, I'm God. I'm telling you what you're doing wrong. He never pretended there was, that the differences didn't exist between his sincere followers and his unsincere followers. Jesus tried to bring understanding and reconciliation in everything he did. He didn't say, well, you know what? I don't deal with you because you're a Pharisee. No, he dealt with the Pharisees. He dealt with the people who didn't like him. He didn't run away from them. You ever see it where, ever, I don't see anywhere in the Gospels it says, and Jesus didn't want to deal with him, so he moved on to the next city. <laughs> I don't see that. I do not see that. Peacemakers will try to unify people. They will try to to bring people together and, and make it have harmony. Peacemakers cover it up and have this fake unity where oh we just love everybody. That 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 person oh we just love everybody. It's okay. We yeah. Yeah. sorry. My bad. <laughs> People can be confused. Uh, you know what? I think it's auto-correcting me every time I type, I've typed this <laughs> in because I've typed it in a couple times. So, anyway, yes, peace, peace keep, keepers. Yeah, you know, just want to shove it under the rug and be like, it's okay, uh, Amy. There's nothing wrong with you ever, and it's okay. We lo- we love you just the way you are. Yeah, I mean, that's true, Amy is pretty cool. I mean, I but but what they do is this: is I don't want to deal with sin. I don't want to deal with the the weirdness and the ugliness of having relationships sometimes. Relationships are ugly. They're messy. They're not always the easiest. But if we keep sweeping it under the rug, if we keep, oh, it's okay, but we're just not going to talk about it. The more you don't talk about it, the more tension there is, the more weirdness there is. Have you ever been to our house? When When they're hungry. I will tell you this story, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, my wife's sitting in the front. She's within throwing distance, so I probably can't tell her, even though it's a good story. Okay, so... Yes, so we're, um, we went to Ludington on, what was it, Friday. We had to get a couple things for my wife spending more money. Um, hey. <laughs> and, and so we're, I, I have a, it, it, okay, so Jordan Bradfield's in the back seat. We have a couple seats put down on the side. It was going to be a date for us, you know, we're going to Lowe's, yay. Um, <laughs> so romantic. But so we were we were on our way to Luddington, we went to the stores that they wanted that our girls wanted to go to and so we're in Lowe's and we get everything we need and we got it all packed in the vehicle and we're in the line in Wendy's to get our food and you know it's like do you want the four dollar one or do you want the five dollar one? Do you want the four you know? And so everybody chooses their own and I'm handing stuff back. My wife's throwing the food at me. No, I'm just kidding. She's handing me the bags, I'm handing it back, I'm handing it back, and and we were off just a little bit. Something was off. I mean, like the, my daughter, my youngest, doesn't like certain things. And, and there was food, and there was certain things on her food. And she's like, I don't like it. And my wife, in her hangriness, decided that she was going to, well, just whip around the parking lot. I'm going to go get you a new one. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. And she's like, nope, we're doing it. We're getting her a new one. And I'm like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And she's just like, we're going to get her a new one. And and Lana's like, I don't want a new one. We're getting it for you anyway. And I'm like, I don't care if she gets it. I'll just eat it myself. So I'm like, go for it. We Uh, we went back to the line. And we got the other thing. And then as soon as we pulled out, we realized that somebody had mixed it up. She's like, you just made me steal from Wendy's. (laughs) I'm like, we didn't steal from Wendy's. It just got mixed up, and they didn't do the right thing. She's like, I was like, I don't have a rug big enough to sweep this under right now. And Jordan's just back there eating his sandwich. Yeah. It was scary. Three, two two men in a car, and three hangry women. And if you could have six men in a car and three hangry women, and we'd still be outnumbered. Yeah. You know, he was a trooper though. Yeah. He just kept his mouth shut. He was out of eyesight, so he was he was good. You know. I was in like passenger seat, so I'm like in eyesight. I'm like, oh, don't look at me. So, yeah. So I was eating my my ice cream bef- my frosty before, and my wor- My wife heard the spoon scrape, and then she was just like she hadn't had any food yet, and it just set her off. She was just like, "I heard that spoon scrape." Anyway, where were we? I'm sorry. Ver- okay, no, I was just throwing food back. Like, eat it quick. You know. I anyway, mean. yes. yes. Anyway, verse ten. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Thank you, Lord. Um. For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. My reward will be great in heaven for Friday. (laughs) Yeah, I got a Frosty. (laughs) For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yes. Anyway, people will slander you. People will say whatever they want about you. People you know, people you love will say things about you because what will it do? It will benefit them. They will say bad things about you even when you are kind to them. They will say horrible things about you because you are a Christian They will say horrible things about you and talk bad about your kids because you are a Christian. You say, no, we're not going to do this. (gasps) They're a horrible person because they said no to me. Sounds like my wife sometimes. I said no to her. She's like, you can't tell me that. (laughs) that. Yeah, she says she don't like that. That's what I tell her. Yeah. She says I'm being mean to her when I tell her no, and I said quit being a snowflake, and then I tell her. So, yes, and then she gets it. So, they will slander you. They're going to speak bad things about you. They're going to talk bad about you because of your past and now of your present. They're going to try to drag up old skeletons out of a closet that has been long shut and gone. They're going to try to bring up your past of who you were before you met Jesus. They're going to try to bring up the things that you said, the things that you did. They're going to go back through your social media feed to like 2001 and be like, well, you said this, you know, 20 years ago. You're like, well, I was dumb and I didn't have Jesus. They're going to persecute you. They're going to say things. They're going to figure out how to cancel you because of who you are, because that you follow Jesus. That really sucks, but later on, verse 44, Jesus says, I say to you this, love your enemy, bless the ones who curse you. Do something wonderful for them who hate you and respond to everyone who persecutes you by praying for them. Oh, that sucks. I'm just saying, natural response to someone who does that, you were like, I'm going to take up arms, I'm going to go against them, I'm going to say the exact same things. But no, Jesus is like, oh, by the way, love your enemy, treat them as you would the person you love. We're like, an eye for an eye, I'm going to go after them, and I'm going to slander them. And Jesus is like, nope. You're going to love them because I love you. You're going to treat them with kindness and pray for them because you now allow me to filter what you say, what you do, and who you are. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to everyone who persecutes you by praying for them. That's tough. But it's a standard. There's a standard in Christianity, and that's the standard. There's a standard in following God, and that's the standard. Love the people who persecute you, who hate you, who say bad things about you, and pray for them. If no one hates you, you have a rug this tall, and you're not dealing with it. But Jesus talks about this. We are blessed. You always know, see, oh, you know what? I hate going through the, you go through the, the stores and you see the, the, all the rows of sweatshirts that just say blessed on them. I'm like, you don't know what that means. You put it on a sweatshirt, but you don't know what that means. We're not blessed because we have a t-shirt that says blessed, because we think we have something. We're blessed because we are part of the kingdom of God. We are blessed because we have Him to rely on. We have Him to guide us. We have Him to filter us so that we can remain in Him. Let's pray.